media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 51, verse 5 and 6. That last song, very counterintuitive of, of American Christianity. Okay, God, here's all the things that I want you to do. And being the good and gracious God, there's many times that he does many of those things because he's working those things for blessing in our lives. But there are going to be times in our Christian life, guys, that you can love Jesus and love him hard, and yet you'll feel like he's slaying you. We had a conversation this morning uh, just with back there in the room and a couple of the elders, and we were talking about, you know, that one of the things that we don't see in the Acts church is that they bonded together and had this revolution of a militaristic source uh, against you know, Rome and all these other things. There were a lot of others that were planning that, but we didn't see that within Christianity. No, they were being sent to the Colosseum to be fed to lions. They were hung as human torches at the will of the governors and the emperors. And yet we don't see that they bonded together in this counterintuitive or in this counter-destructive uh, way to come against them as a form. No, they just turned their eyes to heaven. Even as it seemed like they were being slain, and literally they were in many cases, and they just put their trust in God. What a hope we see there in that early church, that they truly worshiped God for who he was, not what they wanted him to be. We, we start with that this morning because... The question that I have and what we see in the text this morning is one of those things that can be counterintuitive to our own nature, our own mindset. We've talked about it before, but there's many times that we've brought up the subject of would people be surprised what goes on in your mind and your heart? Not surprised like, oh man, he's so much more intelligent than we thought. Oh, she's so much more caring. But the other side, the dark side, and we have that side. The Bible calls it our sin nature. David's going to talk about it more. And we have that part that, I mean, I would not even want, in the intimacy of my marriage, I would not even want my wife to know some of the things that happen here and here. And so we have this kind of thought that, okay, on the outside, maybe people go, man, best guy in the world, best lady in the world. Oh, man, she is so on top of things. And yet we know the struggle within. How do we explain that? How do we explain that, especially in light of this, that as Christians, guys, here's the thing. God has not just suggested, but he has commanded that we have the mind of Christ. He has commanded that we have holy lives. Be ye holy as I'm holy. Wow, okay, here's reality of what goes on, not just on the surface, what people see, but here's what's happening in our minds and heart, those dark places. And yet here's this high call of God for holiness and maturity. Do you ever feel like there's like a thousand miles in between those two things? And what I call the tension, the rub. So is God wrong to call us into holiness? Is he wrong to say, have the mind of Christ? No. Anything that he calls us to, he's going to equip us through Christ to be able to do. So don't think that, okay, that I have no hope. But you just don't know what happens in your mind, in my mind. No, you don't know what happens in my mind. It's the most humbling thing in the world. To want to have the mind of Christ, to to, to truly want to have holiness and and be holy as God is holy, and yet what happens not on the outside but on the inside, 
seemingly worlds apart from that. And yet this is the hope that we have in Christ. Throughout this whole sermon series on biblical repentance, we've talked about that biblical repentance, most of the time we think about it in the area of salvation, that God gave us this repentant heart, he gave us a new heart, and now we used to live against God, now we live for God. But the challenge in Psalm 51, I think, is as much, if not more, kind of on the sanctification side, that is, post our salvation, after we come become a Christian, that Psalms 51 is talking about, okay, how do we get to that place and constantly depend on Christ for maturity every day? In this context, to be holy as he is holy. In the context, to have a mind of Christ in a world that has absolutely no mind for Christ. So we look in the scriptures, and the scripture begins to talk about things that seem to be contradictory. We have a sinful nature, and yet... Or to have the mind of Christ. How do we do that? So first question this morning, you can put this under your philosophical mindset or your theological. I promise you it's both philosophical and theological at the same time. But it is one of the most important questions to get right the understanding of biblical repentance. We answered this question wrongly, that is non-biblically, and we're building on a foundation that will not handle. So here's the question. Do you believe that we are good people who do some bad things? Or that we are inherently bad people who happen to do some good things? One of the most important theological questions, because it presents a foundation. And the Bible is not shy in answering this. The Bible isn't, I don't know. You know, there's some people that I can make an argument for this. There's some people that I, I can make. No, the Bible is very clear in answering this question. We're uncomfortable for, for two reasons. Number one, I'm not really all that bad of a person. Maybe not compared to the person you're sitting beside. But certainly the person, yeah, I, I just noticed everybody kind of looking, and most people looked at their spouse. I don't know why, but you know, uh, you know, maybe in comparison, mano to mano, but our comparison is only one, Jesus Christ. Well, if you're going to throw that in there, Pastor, then of course we're all bad people. Because this is not, this whole sermon series is a heavy series. Because we talk about sin every week. and Because repentance has to do with dealing with our sinful nature and maturing in Christ to be able to live in the victory that Christ has given us. But we were talking this morning. As Christians, folks, we're not victims. We're victors. Go read your Bible, and it says it over and over again. Does that mean that everything's going to be fair? No. Does it mean that everything's going to work our, out our way? No. Does it mean that there's not going to be times, like the last song, that it will feel like actually God's slaying us in some area of our life? But we're not victims. We're victors. We're more than conquerors. In the Greek, that word more than conquerors means like this mega conqueror. It's not like, okay, we're conquerors. Go team. No, the word that they use is like this castle would be, would not be big enough for the night that God has equipped us to be to go out there into a world and have victory through Him. The victory just looks different. Looks different because it's counterintuitive. What God is often doing is counterintuitive to what would make sense for us. 
And that's the rub. That's the challenge. So how does the Bible answer this question? Are we bad people that from time to time do some good through the grace of God? What in theology we call common grace, made in the image of God. And so being made in the image of God, even if we have a sin nature, that we can still have the capability of doing some good things. I could share with you verse after verse that would be a foundation for that. Are we good people that every once in a while we just get off the straight and narrow? What is our nature? Look at Psalm 51.5. This question, one of the most important questions of our whole spiritual life, David begins to realize what the right answer is. Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, on the surface, that sounds like an indictment against his mother, doesn't it? Like, okay, was there an affair there that he found out about? That, you know, his father that he thought is not his real father? No, that's not what he's saying. He's really coming from a theological. He's not coming from, oh, my mom did something wrong. It sounds like that way. But what he says is, okay, I was born with a sin nature. He's not saying that having children is an evil thing, that it's a sinful thing. No, God says, be fruitful and multiply. So he's not saying these things. Here's what he is saying. When I was born, I have this virus called sin that I had from the very beginning. And one of the hardest things for people who are loving people as yourselves to kind of get in our mind is that our children, even in their infancy, are born with a sin nature. Now, we're convinced by that of by the time they reach two, if, if not sooner. But, you know, we use this term innocent children, the innocent children. I know what we mean, and, and maybe that's even appropriate sometimes for us to, to, to kind of equate, you know, their youthfulness, their immaturity with innocence. But theologically speaking, that's not a truth. And David realizes that. Now, is David just this David Downer that he just wants to go, sinner, 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 sinner? Is he just trying to bring us all down? No, if you get the right foundation here, then you're going to build upon it other biblical truth. And the greatest biblical truth that you're going to build upon this foundation is from the beginning, I needed a Savior. I needed a rescuer. Well, I mean, that, that was kind of obvious. That we, Yeah, we need Jesus. Well, how much do we really believe that? Do we really believe what he's saying here? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and, by, and in sin. I, did my mother conceive me? I, I had this sin virus from the very, very beginning. That ever since Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden, every other human being from that time on has been born at birth with the sin nature. Because that's biblical truth. You're not going to find anything else in the Bible that would give a counter-argument against that. And yet this right here and this right here sometimes wants to make a counter-argument. So we have to, if we're going to answer what is biblical repentance and use the Bible as a guide for that, then we have to go with biblical truth. And the Bible answers that first question pretty clearly. We are all sinners at birth. With the ability, because we're made in the image of God, and by common grace that he has given and bestowed upon this world, at his pleasure, we're able to do some good things. 
And that's why you're going to have some people that are good people. They don't go to church. They don't believe in God. But they're going to be good people in the sense of comparison if you do a mono-to-mono thing. Does that make sense? Everybody with me on that? That as we look on this level, my famous farmer Ted, he's a good guy. Outshined all of his contemporaries on that level. And yet this is the level of, of our judgment. Are we perfect in every way? Because that's the only way you and I could make it on our own without the work of Christ is that we would have to be perfect, not in most areas, not in 99.9%, but in 100%. And so the Bible answers that very clearly. Paul said it this way to the Romans, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. It goes on and on. I could quote verse after verse after important. Now, why is this so important? Number one, because our condition shows that we need a savior. We need a rescuer. Number two, even in our sanctification after we're saved, in our maturity, it shows that, okay, we still need God. Well, what about that verse about all of our sins were placed on Christ and all of his righteousness was placed on us? Yes. Believe it 100%. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a true verse. But it really is about position in Christ. It's a theological position that we have. Because how many of you last week, if we just take last week and the data from last week, could say, yeah, you know, I have been filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ in every thought, every deed, and everything that happened. I mean, in practice, in position, yes. In practicality, anybody want to raise their hand? And yeah, how many would raise their hand to the, the very first part of the sermon? Would people be surprised by what went on in your mind and in your heart? Yeah, this is the dilemma. So theology is important, but practically living the Christian life is important too. Because until God takes us for this final stage called glorification, we're in a battle, guys. And that rub that we talk about, that tension between still having a sin nature, this old man, and being called into holiness and have the mind of Christ, I don't know about you, but some days I feel like I'm like that far apart, and there's other days I'm going... My arms, if I had the old Stretch Armstrong, and some of you that are old like me would know who Stretch Armstrong is, I couldn't stretch his arms long enough. That gap between what I feel and think and this high call of Christ. So look what happens. What was the first word of Psalm 51.5? Can we go back to that first word? Behold. Uh, that word means to state a truth. It means to declare. It means to reveal. Uh, vacation Bible school this week. We're doing, as you can see, this kingdom kind of thing. And, and every once in a while, the king would make a, uh, and this edict. And so the guy would come out, behold. And you should kind of listen because the king's about to make a statement or this person, this messenger is making the statement that comes from the king. That's the sense of this word. He says, okay, behold, I was brought forth iniquity. And he explains that. But now look at verse 6. What's the first word? 
Behold, he's talking to God. He says, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, what is truth in the inward being? He has two beholds. Behold, we have the sin nature. But behold, this is what God delights in. Are you interested in what delights God? I mean, that's not a word that we usually often associate just in biblical thought life. Man, this just delights God. Every spouse here, do you know what delights your spouse? Have you learned them over the years? And you're going, man, this delights, you know, apple pie delights my husband. Guys, do you know what delights your wife? And as you understand more in this personal relationship, as you grow strong over 5, 10, 15, 35, 50, 60 years, hopefully you understand more and more what delights this person in your life. Well, here God says, you know, David's going, Behold, you delight God. God, you delight in truth in the inward being. What's he talking about? Because he's talking about sin and he's talking about all these things that he messed on. He's talking about being transparent before God. We're, we're going to use the word integrity this morning because the Bible actually uses the word integrity quite a bit, especially in Proverbs. It talks about having integrity, that is being consistent, that what's on the outside or appears to be on the outside is the same on the inside. And we just talked about how far that seems to be apart a lot of times in our life. And that God delights when the outside looks like the inside and the inside looks on the outside. That is when it's righteous things. Oh, Pastor, I don't know that. I really know how that works. If you're a parent, let me give you that illustration. Have you ever been delighted when your child confessed to a wrong in their life? Were you happy about the sin? Were you happy that there was transparency and that they admitted so that they, what did you feel like they were doing? Maturing and growing. That all of a sudden, I, I did take the cookie. I did hit my brother. I did break the window. Isn't there a victory in that, guys? Isn't in, in the long stages of parenting, isn't there a little bit of victory when little Jimmy... Little Annie comes up, Mom, I did it. You're not happy over the sin. You're happy over the integrity to be able to admit and confess the sin. Because your hope is from that, maybe next time, he's not going to hit his brother. We'll give up on that one. But maybe he's not going to break the window. Okay, we'll go with that one. Because hitting the brother, that's going to probably happen until they're in the grave or something like that. But do you get what I'm saying? Why do you delight in that? Because at the core of repentance, hopefully is a changed heart. I did this. I admit it. And there's a hope. There's a sliver of hope in your parenting like, man, she's got it. He's got it. And that's what David talks about in verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. When I tell the truth about myself, you don't delight in my sin, but you, you delight that I realize my sin 
And that's the starting point of biblical repentance. The two beholds here, David is confessing the reality of his core nature, his sin nature, and he's confessing his need for a changed heart. As you do those two things, you do that sincerely, and you are on the pathway to biblical repentance. He says, you teach me the wisdom in the secret heart. Now, what's this wisdom, and what is this secret heart? Wisdom is basically, in this context, being able to see things from God's perspective. How good do you think we are at seeing things from God's perspective? Things like sin, like right and wrong. Maybe half the time, especially if we've been in the Word and we see that this is wrong or this is wrong. But do you think that you ace the test every time? Or do you think, like David confessed already, that we sometimes twist the truth? Or sometimes we just rebel and we just leave what God has given us? No, we have this nature. And so he says, teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, what's this secret heart? Is it like a little compartment that doctors don't know about? The secret heart is, didn't we just admit that there's some things that are in your heart that even your spouse doesn't know? I mean, do you have that place in your life? Students, is there a place in your heart that your parents don't know if it did, it would freak them out? But your mind, your heart actually goes there from time to time? Not Hopefully not consistently, but oh my goodness, mom would freak if she knew that I had this thought. What David's saying is, God, you delight when I tell the truth. And and then you teach me wisdom in this place in my heart that nobody else knows about, but you know about. One of the scariest things as an 11, 12-year-old going to church was when my Sunday school teacher told me, God knows everything that's in your mind and your heart. I mean, when you're 11 or 12, you're going, there's no hope. I'm a dead man. And there's a part of it that we we really do need to be that freaked out, guys. There is no hope. I'm a dead man. I need a rescuer. I need a savior. And that's why at 11 I was freaked out. At 12, I trusted Jesus Christ and his work. Because I knew that there was no hope in me. And yet, if you would have asked most people in that little church that I went to, man, out of our, all of our students, who's the one that you think, you know, is going to go places? They would have said Bobby Lincoln's. I won the Bible drills. I mean, when we did Bible trivia, I knew all the answers. Going places, yeah. Straight to jail, probably. If all the things in my heart and my mind came out in reality. Are, are, are you tracking with me? Do you understand that? What, what David's saying here? The secret place and, and that we need wisdom that is agreeing that truly this is right and, and this is wrong. That we can trust God. That, that's wisdom. We sing that song, though you slay me. You're talking about a time that we need wisdom. Because all of a sudden, God's not answering our to-do list. He's not just, okay, make little Johnny eat all of his supper every night. Help this, help this, help our finances. You know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray about those things, but we present these lists before God, and God's 
goodness, in our mind, it's often how many of those he actually checks off. Is God still good when instead of not even checking off the box, he actually, you feel like you're being slayed? Again, let's go back to early Christianity. Go read Acts. They weren't putting in their wish list. <laughs> Mansions, Lamborghini. God, will you save me from the emperor? Well, because, because he took two of my family members just last week and used them as human torches for a party that he was throwing. That really happened, guys. Go back and read some of the early things that happened. I mean, they were being flayed alive. I won't go down the long list. It's a sickening list. It's a hard list. And yet what we don't see from those early believers, we don't say, God, you're slaying us. You're not right. No, we see a faithfulness. And it's that faithfulness. Like Stephen, as he's being stoned, he looks up into heaven and he just looks to Jesus. And it's that kind of faith and that kind of community of Christians that the world says, turn the world upside down. Now, let's plan a counter-revolution. At 11.59, we're going to storm the... No. Let's love Christ. Let's trust Christ. And even though He slay me, I will worship Him. Hardest kind of faith in the world. And I don't know that I have that kind of faith depending on the amount of slain that God decides in his wisdom to do. I mean, you do a little bit of slain. I didn't get to go to this place yesterday. Oh, my steak burned. I don't get to eat the steak. That's not slain, you know, okay. You lose a child? You lose a marriage? Though you slay me, I will worship you. I don't know if I have that kind of faith. I pray by the grace of God when those moments come in my life that God will so supply me with his grace that I will have the grace. But I don't know that I can do any more than theory of, okay, God, will you, will you just teach me wisdom, trusting you implicitly in the secret place of my heart? Because right now the secret place of my heart actually has thoughts sometimes of, God, you're not doing enough. What we see here is David realized that he had sinned against the lawgiver, not just the law. It was personal to God. We saw that two weeks ago. And, and it brings us to the second question that we have this morning. Is integrity, if we want to use that word, that's a word that God uses throughout his word to, to talk about the trueness of art. Is integrity, purity, this thing that God delights in, whatever we want to call it that God delights in, is it more than just outward conformity to God's moral laws? Yes or no? And the Bible would answer that, and David answers that, yes. Big yes. Explanation points behind it, yes. Jesus attacked that during his ministry. They were all the religious people of the day, and they were very religious. And the outside looked clean, and yet he countered them. He said, you're, you're a hypocrite. 
If there's one thing that I think that we have such a distaste for is hypocrisy, except for our own. I mean, seriously. We can spot it a mile away. We, 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 we don't have no place for it in, in our lives. And, and David begins to realize his own hypocrisy. Remember how he even began this road of biblical repentance? It wasn't because one day he said, you know, I just haven't been doing the things that bring glory to God. No, God had to bring a prophet to him, Nathan, who had to tell him a story about a man who had thousands of sheep. And yet when he had a visitor, he didn't take one of his thousands of sheep. He went to his neighbor who only had one sheep and he took that one sheep. Remember that story? True story. And Nathan asked David, David, what should I do? And David was harsh. Go back and read it. It says it angered him. He wasn't, oh, glad you asked. Here's my discernment. No, he was angered. He was emotional over it. And yet he had done that very thing. One of the kindest things that God will ever do in our hearts and our lives through his word and through his spirit is show us our own hypocrisy. It doesn't feel good, doesn't taste good, doesn't look good from all the things because it, it, there's going to be a rebellion in our heart. There's going to be a twisting of the truth. There's going to be excuses. Well, at least it's not as bad as so-and-so. When God shows us the hypocrisy of our own heart, guys, thank him, praise him that he loved you enough to show the hypocrisy of your heart and your life. doesn't feel good. You, that's not going to come from the human part, but it is going to come from the very much, the, the spiritual part, your soul. And so that's what's happening here. Jesus in his ministry, Matthew chapter 5, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and during that, he, he spent a lot of time using these phrases. Uh, I'm just going to give a few examples, like four or five examples. But there's about eight or nine there. So you can go to Matthew chapter 5 later on and see this. But Matthew 5, 21, 22. And we're going to see these repeated phrases. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. See the contradiction? You've heard this. Here's the standard. Here's the given. But this Jesus comes right to But I say to you, here's the truth. So what were some of the things they talked about? You've heard it been said of those who are old, do not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That's kind of harsh. You don't get a lot of people joining your ministry with that kind of preaching. What is he saying? Hey, you may not have murdered, but in your heart, when you're thinking of these things, you've murdered. Next one, verse 27, 28. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Would you agree with that? Yeah. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh my. So it's not just the external, but it's the internal. We're doomed. Guys, we're doomed. Unless there's hope from this Savior to give us a new heart and to give us maturity. That in the secret place of our heart that not even our spouse knows about, that there's hope. Does that make sense, guys? See, see how he's, he's saying, man, this, this 
moral law is there and it's right. We don't deny the first. In fact, if he went back a couple of verses, he says, I have not come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Because you couldn't. He goes, I'm your hope. Uh, go to the next one. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. How many of y'all honestly, honestly, well, that's just right. I mean, I was taught that, okay? My dad and all, I mean, son, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's biblical. And it is biblical. Old Testament. But Christ comes and he changes the, the parameters of that. But I say, do not resist one who is evil. What? But if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other. Dad never taught me that. I mean, honestly, I've shared with you before. If you really think you're going to get hit, hit him first. If you really think you're in that situation, don't wait. Hit him first. And there's a part of that, let's be totally honest with one. Isn't there a part of that that seems so right? Self-preserving? And yet that's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. Where Jesus flips everything upside down. You don't have to agree with me. Your argument would not be against, well, Bobby, you really, no, Jesus believes it, okay? He's the one that's saying this. This is not my made up scripture. Let's look at one more. Just so that we really see what he was doing here. You've said, heard it that was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I tell you guys, that's not in this heart until God takes out the heart of stone, puts in the heart of flesh. It's not even in the heart of flesh as I'm still trying to deal with my own humanity and my own bravado nature as a guy. The only thing that changes that is when God begins to show me his wisdom in the secret place of my heart. See how it's all connected? So if you're thinking, well, pastor, I mean, there's some sermons, there's like one out of ten people going, yeah, that was for me today. And then there's other sermons where I truly believe, I I told the elders this morning, I, I believe that there's not a person that will sit down in our sanctuary today or listen to us online today that won't be able to say, yeah, the distance between my thoughts in the secret place of my heart and the reality of what God's word says to do. Sometimes only this far or this far, but sometimes farther than I could ever stretch. So what do we do? Truth number one, we have a sin nature. We were born that way. We had the virus from the beginning. God sent a Savior to cure us of the virus. We still have to deal, if you want to say, not positionally, but practically with the effects of this virus, even today. Go read Romans, the whole first part. Why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? He has this whole battle. Why is there this tension in my life, even as a believer? And yet here's the promise of God. 
the same God that saved you from your sin will give you victory over your sin. Day by day, thought by thought. Have the mind of Christ. Impossible, pastor. God would never, ever put something before you, especially as a command, and it is a command, that he would not equip you with. The problem is, I can't do it. It's dependence on him and the victory of Christ. Now Christ living through me and the very gift of the Holy Spirit in my life to give me victory. Is it possible? Yes. That we would have wisdom in our hearts in the secret place. Until glorification, guys, we're always going to feel that rub. Christ is not only the source of our salvation, but our transformation. Transforming our thoughts, just like it says in Romans chapter 12. Simple truth is, and we conclude, we're all hypocrites. To to a measure in that definition that there's some things that we believe are right and we don't live up to that rightness. And yet that's not only why Christ died for us, but that's why God gave us his very spirit to sustain us, to, to help us through those things. We're always going to have that time when we tell somebody else not to do something and yet we've done it on our heart. We're all going to have some outrageous outward conformity and look really good to a lot of people knowing that a battle rages on the inside. There is hope for us. His name is Christ. I mean, you sure do preach a lot about sin. Well, it's because the Bible talks a lot about sin. But please fire me. Please lock the doors. Take away the key. The minute that I don't mention sin and present to you the love of Christ and the victory of Christ, one without the other, we are hopeless. We are helpless. Let's let's share the gospel, guys. How many of your friends this morning, we'll we'll end on this. How many of your friends this morning, because it's always easier to talk about friends than it is to talk about us. You think need to know that this tension, this rub that they feel in the secret place of their heart between what they know they should be doing and what they actually think about sometimes and what enters their mind. How many of your friends need to know that there is hope for that? And that this hope is Jesus Christ. Well, I've got a lot of friends. Yeah. See, it's easier to think of them in that need than it is ourselves. And yet we share that need. And so this morning, just know that God is not asking something outrageous, folks, when he says, be holy as I am holy. He's not asking something outrageous when he says, have the mind of Christ. He has enabled us through the victory of Christ to do that. Is it challenging? Is it hard? Is there a friction and a rub? Yes, every single day. But he has enabled us to have victory there. The, the whole thing is just to, God, admit to God the truth. And to be a real person of integrity, I struggle with this. And call in accountability around you. Guys, call in other guys around you. And many of you have done that. And I'm so proud of you. Because you know that when you battle alone, it's hard. But when you battle with others, you have people praying for you, supporting you, challenging you, asking you tough questions. 
And I commend you for that, guys. And ladies that do the same thing in discipleship. May we have the mind of Christ day by day, more and more, to be like him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I, I don't know my response. I can sing the song, Though You Slave Me. I can look in the Bible and see that you will support and encourage and strengthen me. And yet, Father, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we don't know how we would respond. But, Father, every tool, all the equipment, as we go and teach these kids about the spiritual armor this week, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword that is your truth. Father, you have equipped us well in the victory of Christ. Will you help us to have those victories day by day? Because we need that encouragement. Father, we need to know that in the secret place of our heart that nobody else knows about, that more and more you're calling us into purity and holiness. And Father, we want to be people of integrity. We don't want to be a hypocrite. Will you strengthen us, Father? Will you equip us? Will you make us more like Christ? As we pray all this in the power and the victory of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook. Facebook.